The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Happy Thanksgiving Eve, Eve, everybody. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. If you are on your way out traveling, slow down. You will get there. Drive safe. And I've got tons of news to keep you company. There's a new Quinnipiac poll out on the 2020 contenders. Bad news for Senator Elizabeth Warren. Good news for Joe Biden. We will dive into that. More drama from the Secretary of the Navy. And did you see what President Trump said about the centennial coin? It went viral today. I'll give you the latest on that. Plus, U.S.-China trade policy, Hong Kong protests, jam-packed political policy show with some returning favorites and new political all-stars. Maddie Dupler returns, our friend of the program. We're so grateful she's back, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference, also a new mom. I am. Of a beautiful baby. Oh, thank you so much, And we're so happy to have you back. And Francis Creighton, his first time on the program, someone I've known for a while here in Washington, D.C. He's the president and CEO of the Consumer Data Industry Association. He's a long time Democratic Capitol Hill staffer, including the former chief of staff to Senator Chris Murphy. Francis, welcome. Thanks so much. And Maddie Dupler, our resident Republican. She, uh, you're, you're back from, you're back from maternity. I sure am. So how, so can you just give us an update because you're such a, a great <laughs> friend of the program. Well, I would say that my three month old now cares not at all about my hot takes on tax policy and the Fed. I <laughs> uh, tried to see if shared... there was a germ of interest there and there was not. No, you so. tried, you shared something on, on Instagram, I think, where you yeah, were I was like... watching one of the press conferences, and you know they tell you that's good for brain development is to talk to them. So I just talked to her about what I'm interested it's a good about. Investment. Yeah, and we'll see what happens when she's older, whether when she she's recalls the Fed any chair. of that. Exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or if you need some good bedtime music, I hear the Fed chair press conferences make pretty that's good. Soothing, can put you to sleep. <laughs> yeah, the cadence of talking about uh, monetary policy, I think, is yeah. just what the doctor ordered. Uh, for, for insomnia. For <laughs> insomnia. Yeah, precisely. Uh, Francis, you're here as well. Okay, so we were just talking about this uh, a little bit before we came on air. But did you see this? President Trump has been invited by the House Judiciary Committee to attend an impeachment inquiry hearing. I, I, I'm like, I don't know what he's going to do. He's said oh, that Kev, he would, come on. You think he's going to There go? is no question in my mind that the okay. president is going to show up as the star witness in these proceedings. I mean, the president... You love him, hate him, whatever your opinion of the president is, I think it's pretty un unequivocal that he believes he is the best witness for his case in front of the House uh, uh, impeachment proceedings. Right. So he's definitely going to show up. Not only that, 
But he loves to make a good spectacle, right? Right. What would be a more highly publicized proceeding than the president himself showing up on the Hill to discuss his own case? I mean, that would be ratings gold, and the president would love that. Well, from a messaging standpoint, Francis, I mean, he was criticized for live tweeting during the, the other hearings. And he, he was you know, accused of everything from witness intimidation and the like. If he were to show up and be able to do this, it, it would essentially be like a press conference for the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. it, it would, but it puts him in the middle of the whole thing. What he should do is look back to what President Clinton did during the 90s impeachment. He should go out, he should sign more bills like he did today. He should go out and do rallies around USMCA, talk about jobs, talk about drug prices, talk about all of these different things, and get away from impeachment. Nobody... Nobody benefits from any of this. This is just driving us further and further and further right. down. But he's got some good things to talk about. He should talk about those things. Right. But he's not going to. I mean, like, that's been my <laughs> advice since day one. It's been thrown out of the window. To your, <laughs> and to your point, uh, Francis, I mean, Mark Penn, according to the Washington Post, the longtime yeah. political chameleon who uh, got his start as a senior advisor to former President Bill Clinton, was apparently at the White House, according to the Post, for an hour last week talking about impeachment. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, Francis, what could potentially change a little bit with what you're talking about is what happens over this recess, right? So now we've had what is supposed to be the shift from Democrats holding these proceedings in secret together. Now it's out in public. Now they think they've really brought their case to the American public and they're going to continue to do so. We have a recess in the middle of these proceedings where members have to go home and see if that is the case. Right. Mm -hmm. That is the uh, test case here. I believe that they're not going to get the kind of feedback back that a lot of the really progressive wing thinks that they're getting back home. I think a lot of these guys, particularly the folks who are in seats that are not uh, you know, D plus a million, they're going to go home and they're going to hear exactly the complaint that you just laid out, which is, what the heck else are you doing here? This USMCN. is not, yeah, What what is getting done? We sent you to Congress to do things. What are those things? So let's let's keep, uh, let's say, yeah, absolutely, we're going to talk about some of the things that they're not doing. USMCA <laughs> coming up, US-China trade talks, as well as a host of other issues. But let's just to go through the daily impeachment chatter. Last night, as we concluded the show, we got the court ruling from the district judge saying that Dom again was going to have to comply with the impeachment uh, subpoenas. Now the Justice Department lawyers have asked a judge to put on hold a ruling requiring that he testify uh, before uh, the before the panel. Uh, Steve Cohen, who is a Democrat from Tennessee, he's on the Judiciary Committee. He spoke to uh, reporters earlier today. Take a listen to what uh, Congressman Cohen had to say. We could be shocked. And Don McGahn could say, I've been ordered, I'm going to come in. But I think he left it up to the Court of Appeals and to see if they would issue a stay. And if they take the case, they will issue a stay. Uh, I'd be shocked if McGahn came in. So meanwhile, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has been asked about the matter pertaining to Ukraine. He was asked about that uh, earlier today at a press conference at the State Department. Here's the Secretary of State. We've continued to comply with all the legal requirements. You saw we released documents, I guess it was last week now. We'll continue to do that uh, as required uh, by law and as appropriate. But all of this comes, again, if you're just joining us, at the House Judiciary Committee, chaired by, of course, the Democrat from New York, Jerry Nadler. He has asked for President Trump to testify on December 4th or his attorney. And the back and forth the other week was that the president welcomed the opportunity to either submit written answers or whatnot. Um, and 
we're gathering that the Intelligence Committee is also beginning to put together a report to submit to the Judiciary Committee articles of impeachment. According to Chairman Nadler, the president would have until December 1st, which is, if you're playing along at home, folks, <laughs> this Sunday, mm -hmm. Sunday after Thanksgiving break. Uh, so just in a couple of days to reply with whether or not he is going to do so. Just, you know, I, I don't like to play predictor, but I, I, what do we think? I don't think he's going to do it. I think, you he'll think either the president's send, going to do it? I think he'll either send his attorney or ask for written questions. No, I, don't think, I disagree. Because he I could think, perjure himself. I think this is why Nancy Pelosi, when she was asked this question, I think it was last week, kind of right. left the door open to both written questions or him testifying because she also appreciates that the president is someone who takes up all the oxygen in the room. And he certainly believes that he can be the best. He can so be a hard person yes, for himself. I'm a it. hard yes. I think right. he'll be there. You? I think cool heads prevail and that he's worried about the perjury trap and that ultimately yeah. the lawyers tell him not to do it and he eventually says I'm not going to do it but you're right though he loves good TV oh, yeah. and this would be I mean great yeah TV. I could I, I really do see both sides of this but I, I and I want to move away but this is just such a fascinating conundrum for the White House to be talking about on this I mean because he's he's labeled it a witch hunt he said it's a scam he said he, he's you know, tried to get folks to not take it seriously. But, mm -hmm. I mean, Kevin, talk you, you about ever a see, show. Uh, you ever see uh, A Few Good Men? Yes. You know, at the yes. end? Yeah. Sorkin. That's what could I love happen Aaron Sorkin. Here. But that's what could happen here, is that Jerry Nadler just pushes him and pushes him and pushes him and says, you're damn right I did. And I actually <laughs> think, I, I mean, truthfully, if you're looking at it from, like, a media perspective, I mean, we reporters are shouting questions at the guy, you know, a, a lot. This would actually be a... a it's a Republican, a Democrat, a Republican, mm -hmm. a Democrat, you know, and just There'd be a lot, there'll be a lot more structure. That's right. for sure. But like, think about the times where we've had like really like when the president has taken has actually gone to the podium and sat in the press room with you guys. And yeah. the thing goes on for an hour and a half. Right. And he asks you, you know, like, do you want me to, to be done with this? And everyone says, no, no, no. We love yeah. it. You know, he just has this magnetism about him. And some people think he uses that for good. Some people think he uses that for bad. But I think that the president given the opportunity, wants to take the lumps against Jerry Nadler and thinks he could beat him. And let's not forget that he and Jerry Nadler have a long history. Long yeah. history. Long history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, many different Oh, no, you guys, I, I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I kind of hope he does go. It'd be, great. <laughs> It'd be a great thing to cover. I, would that not just be, like, the stamp on 2019 if you that know, happens at the end of the year? the bag, folks. Eat your turkey this Thursday so we can all rest up for that. All right, coming up, we're going to pivot to policy. I spent way much longer on that than I thought, way much more time than I thought I was going to, but that's a juicy topic, folks. You mean tonight or in 2019? Oh, <laughs> tonight uh, and on 2019. <laughs> uh, coming up, panel stays. Francis Creighton, I feel like you've been on before. So gr great to have you in the studio. And Maddie Dupler is back. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. We're just a few days from Gobble Gobble Day, and you are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm still basking in the glow of the aura of Marianne Williamson, who joined us on our program yesterday. And, you know, I just I feel like that that vibe, that vibe is what I'm going to carry with me into this into this week, regardless of whether or not you agree with their politics. And I'm not, uh, you know, having an assessment on that. I'm just a journalist. But, you know. It was a it was a vibe. Uh, Francis Creighton's here. He is the president and CEO of the Consumer Data Industry Association, longtime Dem Hill staffer, and served as the chief of staff to Senator Chris Murphy. How's Senator Murphy doing? 
He's great. Yeah. He's great. He's loving his job. Yeah. He's in the middle of all of this. And, uh, he is. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting and it's exciting for him. And I'm curious what his long-term ambitions are or long-term career path is. I mean, he could really be a player uh, on a host of different tracks. I could, I could see him doing many things. As, as could you. You're nodding. I'm glad in the to hear you say that. <laughs> and Matty Dumpler is back, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, former coalitions director to the House Republican Conference. All right, Marianne Williamson, I asked her uh, in the break yesterday, I said, what's your favorite poem? And this is what I was teasing for, for both of you guys. What do you think Marianne Williamson's favorite poem is? Where the sidewalk ends. <laughs> uh, Trees by Joyce Gilmer. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. No, it's The Second Coming by Yeats. Oh, okay. And that famous line... Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very good. Deep, mm-hmm. deep. Uh, the reason I asked you that question is because I had lunch with, or actually dessert, uh, with my high school English teacher over the weekend back home. And I asked him for a poem to read because that's, he's the man. And I haven't seen him in 12, at least 12 years. I haven't seen him in a very long, 10 years, at least a decade. And he told me to read Digging by Seamus Haney. And Mr. Roper, if you are listening, I have read it multiple times. Over the past 24 hours. So let's talk policy. Let's talk <laughs> policy, my friends. Uh, did you see this? Because President Trump was asked about the Hong Kong bill from poems to policy with Kevin Dying Smith. about this transition. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a pivot, Christine Barada or EP? Uh, he was asked about the Hong Kong bill. Take a listen to Trump on the Hong Kong bill. Here he is. We're with them. I have a very good relationship, as you know, with President Xi. We're in the final throes of a very important deal. I guess you could say one of the most important deals in trade ever. Uh, It's going very well, but at the same time, we want to see it go well in Hong Kong, and I think it will. I think that uh, President Xi can make that happen. So it's interesting because he still hasn't uh, my, I mean, he is he is he going to sign it? Do we we still not? We still as far as know. I know, we don't know. So uh, it, it's it's so interesting to me, right? Because I'm a tax and trade and financial person. Right. Everything I see everything through the lens of like trade and what's happening in U.S. China right now, and I don't quite appreciate this hemming and hawing on the Hong Kong issue. Not only because on its own virtue is it important, but we're nearing the December fifteenth deadline for the new tranche of tariffs to go into effect, and the United States needs to be able to show that something is happening on the U.S.-China trade front, right? So to sign the Hong Kong bill now, and to, or to, excuse me, to argue that you can't sign the Hong Kong bill because that might upset the delicate balance of the negotiations between U.S.-China trade would suggest that those negotiations are still quite delicate. And I think that is not the message that the administration wants to send either. So I think the administration might be looking at this and thinking, damn if you do, damn if you don't. But I think it would send a very strong signal that they are secure in their negotiating position on U.S.-China trade, and they can continue to have those conversations outside of what happens with the bill. I would like to see the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, say very clearly and specifically what America's values are, what we expect the Chinese to do, how if the Chinese want to continue to be part of the global community, that they are going to treat the protesters in Hong Kong right. Saying, oh, I just think that uh, everything's going to work out fine is troubling to me. He needs to state, what do we stand for as Americans? And in, some, and in some sense, this is a, a prime opportunity for the president to do that because we've had so much muddling about with it, with the NBA really right. stepping in oh, and a bunch was, of, you know, the pop mm. culture conversation on this has been very disappointing. The president yeah. could really swoop LeBron, in and say- LeBron, if you're listening, ex- LeBron. Exactly. All this virtue signaling from these celebrities and just really, really, I think, taking us a, several steps backward from where we have been previously as the leader of the free world, uh, I think- 
the president could step in and say, as he is wont to do on many other issues, say, I'm going to lead here. I'm going to make our mark. I'm going to make sure that America is first on these values. Maddie, it really is interesting. And, and, and obviously, Congress could override the veto in a, in a blink. Yeah. And I thought that Senator Marco Rubio, the Republican from Florida who's been driving this in the Senate, I think he has really emerged as, as a leader on this particular issue. Uh, beyond that, just to catch everybody up to speed as where things stand for the for the phase one deal, there was a talk, uh, a talk, a call today. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, Luha, the his Chinese counterpart in Beijing. The Chinese is getting good. And thank you. And uh, I've mispronounced his name so many times, <laughs> and so many people have told me, both listeners, viewers, and some of my awesome colleagues uh, have, have all told me that. Uh, so, But I, I think I just said it right there. And, uh, and U.S. Trade Rep. Bob Lighthizer, they were having a call. So they're still inching closer, I guess, to that December 15th deadline when billions dollars worth of tariffs could go up. Uh, and then on the USMCA front, I mean, I, I, every time I interview a Republican staffer, lawmaker, administration official, they're like, when is USMCA going to get done? And, you know, I, Francis, I, 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 take us behind the scenes. What are you hearing from your Democratic friends about USMCA? Uh, the big thing is the calendar. Yeah. Uh, you got to get this thing scheduled. We've only got a couple more weeks before the end of the year. And uh, there just seems to be not the um, uh, momentum to actually get it onto the calendar and to get it scheduled and to call the question, hey, are we going to do it or not? And then you make members make the decision one way or the other. And here's what I think could start to change that calculus, which, again, a lot is riding on this work period with members back in their districts. But I think that's what one of the things uh, Nancy Pelosi is waiting on. If her members come back and they say impeachment isn't resonating, and that seems to be the case, mm -hmm. all the polling indicates that these hearings have done nothing to change public perception uh, on impeachment. Uh, if their members come back and say, we need to have a win going into this new year when we need to start campaigning, I think that could really flip the switch for Pelosi and wanting to get USMCA done. And then we know with Nancy Pelosi in control, if she says we're doing this, members will line up to vote for it. Um, also, President Trump pardoned not one but two turkeys today. That, this is the most important story of the day. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say, I looked online at the profiles of the turkey. I'm a girl from Wisconsin. I always vote dairy. I wanted butter to get the pardoning, and he did. Oh, mine? yeah, go pack gold. Yeah, we are having the worst season this I, year. I, the so. interesting thing about and this turkey thing. you're a Patriots thing, fan. Oh, no, God, no. no what no. are you? Uh, I, if anything, I'm a Giants fan, okay. but I'm not, I'm not right. a big football no, fan. Uh, but the president actually did something that presidents do without any drama today, which is kind of a big deal. Well, did like you he, hear what he said, though? What? He took a major swipe at Democrats. I think we have the sound bite. Yeah, he, he, he uh, went off script a little bit and analogized the turkey pardoning to his own uh, interactions with the Democrats. We might. So even, okay, so my, so my point is, is yeah. I mean, even the littlest thing that a president can do that's just a normal, regular course of business, you get a nice little uh, uh, media opportunity out of it, even then he can't control himself from throwing out a little dig. Well, here's a soundbite from the turkey pardon about the stock market. Here he is. But bread and butter, I should note that unlike previous witnesses, you and I have actually <laughs> met. It's very unusual. <laughs> I don't even, I don't. This I, is the most bizarre yeah. tradition in Washington. I stuff. love Can this. Can we agree Can on I, this? Okay, here's the fact I, that we I'm put the turkeys so up at the Willard. I'm getting so over time, but I will tell you the first time that Bloomberg Television ever allowed me to guest anchor on television, 
it was a turkey party day two <laughs> days ago. And I felt like I was both a sportscaster, a Bloomberg television correspondent. I you was like trying all. to mix the markets, but I was doing like a play-by-play of like <laughs> the president of the United States pardoning turkeys. Coming up, much more policy, poultry, and politics and with our favorite all-star panel. Uh, my favorite poem, for what it's worth, is called The Mountain by Robert Frost. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Hungry Heart by the legendary Bruce Springsteen, one of my all-time favorites. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Maddie Duppler's here. Francis Creighton's here. Maddie, what's your favorite poem? You asked me this in the break, and I still haven't come up with one. I'm not much of a poetry reader, right, well, You but have about 24 minutes. It was just suggested to me that I should read this to the baby, so I'm going to start. So what should I start with? Uh, Yates. Yates? Yeah, Yates? Start with Yates? But I, I, my favorite childhood author is, was always Roald Dahl. Oh, oh Road yeah, Doll's yeah. great. Road Doll's great. I read yeah. a lot of Shell Silver scene as a kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite poem? Uh, Lake Isle of Innisfree by Yates. Okay, put that on the email chain. Okay. Because I want to read that. It's, um, it's one of the greats. There's a 2020 poll out uh, today. Quinnipiac. Good news for Biden. Bad news for Warren. And then we got to talk about Buttigieg. He went viral today. I don't know if you've been following this about the African-American vote. There was this column on TheRoot.com. Right. And it's been, you know... Kamala Harris was on MSNBC criticizing him for comparing the LGBTQ um, advancement of civil rights with the Mm African-American civil rights. Uh, So let's start with the poll. Joe Biden, I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, Ryan Teague Beckwith. Joe Biden had established a strong lead in the Democratic primary fight as Elizabeth Warren's standing has dropped. A national poll released Tuesday showed the former vice president has retaken the top spot in the Quinnipiac University national poll. 24 percent, 24 percent for Biden. That's up from from uh, 21 percent in the October poll. But 24 percent for Biden. And Warren is now at 14 percent. She's down 14 percentage points from uh from that same survey at the end of last month, and she's tied with Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg. We always talk about Warren, Buttigieg, and Biden. Bernie Sanders, and I repeat, Bernie Sanders has been the most consistent performer this entire race. I think that's true, but I think and Biden. Sorry, that, I mean, I'll throw well, Biden. So in that's what I was going to say is that Sanders has been consistent, but not in a way that is uh, that shows strength in the campaign. It shows constancy, which doesn't win you a presidential campaign. Mm. It shows you that he has a bulk of support that probably isn't going to move off of him. Um, it shows you that he has some staying power, but he is also one of the ones that gets the headlines and gets um, has the most to suffer from when you get a new entrant to the race. So that's when Biden came in, you saw Sanders suffer as a result of that. When Elizabeth Warren started to really become ascendant, the question was how that takes away from Sanders. And so I don't see him as competing alongside the other folks who are consistently pulling at but least the around him. The argument from 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 Bernie World is 
okay, if if Warren starts to go down, Francis, and you know this, talk, mm-hmm. tell me about your Democratic friends. If if Warren starts to go down, you're going to hear from Bernie, and you heard it on the Medicare for All debate. He's I'm paraphrasing. I'm the OG progressive. If you mm-hmm. want a progressive, go to me, Warren voters. Warren voters are going to go to Bernie, and Bernie voters are going to go to Warren, right? And 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 I think what. I'm interested in in this poll is the stability at the top of the list, that you have right. four candidates who are just continually getting double digits. Nobody else is getting double digits. So if they're staying like this now and nobody else is able to break in, but no one else is able to get to 50, you know, when everyone else is at 20 or something, could you end up in a place where you go through all the primaries and you have four candidates proportionally breaking up the uh, uh, the delegates and walking in with a truly open convention. All right, Tucker Carlson's been also getting into the 2020 debate. He's saying that former President Obama hasn't backed Joe Biden because Michelle Obama could run. Do we think Michelle is this? Should we be taking this seriously? Could Michelle Obama get in the race? There's I don't no- think so. I think that the, and the the problem is that Michelle Obama politically suffers from the same issues that Biden is suffering from right now. Having to answer for the last eight years that brought us to the point where we have Trump, I think, is one of the political liabilities there. But secondly, you know. Biden has proven that he can't be progressive enough for the left flank of the party, but he also can't be moderate enough to bring people into the fold. Michelle Obama might be a little bit uh, more, I think, It's smart. Whoever's advising her is smart, though, because people uh, there's a giant question mark about what her political future could be. And question mark means various opportunities. The the very last person I'm turning to for uh, advice on what's going to happen in the Democratic primary is Tucker Carlson. (laughs) Right. I mean, (laughs) where did he get that from? The question of her political future is is an open-ended one. You would, I mean, she could really... Sure, she yeah. could run for something, and right. Chelsea Clinton could run for something, or, you know, whatever. But has she done anything to suggest that she's going to run? No, no. It's just people right Books. now are at the point in the campaign where they want something new. Yeah. Uh, during 2004, it led to the Wesley Clark yeah. uh, campaign, and then we had Fred Thompson jumping in at the last minute. But I think that this thesis has actually been tested with the fact that a Clinton didn't win, a Bush dropped out of the primaries last mm-hmm. time around. I mean, both sides are sick of this legacy talk. They want to see something new because they think that the people who've been in power on both sides of the aisle have screwed it up so much that we need new people and we need new ideas in Washington. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is 38 years old or whatever he is. And Elizabeth Warren 10 years ago or 15 years ago was a college professor. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, we are getting fresh faces. How would you size up, Francis, the way that Buttigieg has has, uh, his political playbook in the last week since the last debate? Uh, Well, he's trying to take advantage of this momentum uh, that he's had, but yet he's run into uh, the big problem that Democratic candidates have, which is if you don't have support among the African-American community, you can't survive in a Democratic primary. African-American voters. He literally has zero percent of the vote. In South Carolina, right? And then then it speaks to the weakness about our nominating process that we have Iowa and New Hampshire, two very, very uh, uh, white states uh, going first. But then we go into South Carolina and then we go into Nevada, which are more diverse. We could do a whole show on ways that would make it more fair or less fair. and and, That's right. I have a crazy idea. Maybe have a raffle and have like different days of different Super Tuesdays. 
and then like you raffle off the states. Well, and Super Tuesday this year is, I think, one of the biggest Super Tuesdays that we've had in yeah. several cycles. So Buckle it's going to be. Yeah. There was a proposal back in the day where uh, Super Tuesday would move regionally from election to yeah, election. Yeah, I think yeah. that'd be, you know, what do I know? I'm, I'm not an expert. Uh, coming up, what's on the panel's radar? Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. If you're driving anywhere for Thanksgiving, make sure you slow down, don't get in a car crash, and be safe. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I love that song, Matt Kearney. Matt Kearney is just the best. Uh, one of my all-time favorites. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Francis Creighton, this is your first time on the show. Yeah, it is. How's it going? Uh, you tell me. <laughs> and Maddie Duffler's here as well, a long, uh, a longtime favorite of the show. Francis, you're at the uh, you're the president and CEO of the Consumer Data Industry Association. Mm-hmm. What's on your agenda for the next couple of months? Well. We work with uh, the Hill on all sorts of issues. Any so anything moving in the banking space, anything okay. to change regulation in the banking space, we're interested in, and uh, we work with our partners up there in the banking committee, in the financial services committee. But the big thing right now, privacy in California. That Why? Privacy bill, that privacy bill is so far-reaching, and it's really? kind of like an American version of GDPR. Mm-hmm. Wow! But instead of taking ten years to be done, it was basically done in two weeks in Sacramento. And so what what would the negative impacts of it be? Well, it's all, it's going into effect on January 1st. Yeah. Uh, Attorney General Becerra needs to put out some regulations, but uh, it's got some really deep uh, impacts for your listeners, particularly Bloomberg listeners. Uh, and I don't think people have really understood uh, the – I mean, it's a – this is a long topic, uh, and people really do. Sh- well, come back on and, and share. Yeah, with yeah, us. we can we can talk Who about that. Who are good people up on Capitol Hill that are, that are really in this space, lawmaker wise? Uh, Roger Wicker okay. uh, is terrific on privacy. Maria Cantwell uh, is is really terrific on it. And then there's a congresswoman from Washington State named Suzanne Del Bene. I've heard she, of her. Yeah, she used to work for Microsoft, and yeah. she's probably, I think, the most thoughtful person that I've heard talk about this. She really uh, gets it on all sides. She wants to make sure that uh, information is available and out there, but also that Americans' privacy. I'm totally putting you on the spot right now, and I apologize. But uh, last week in the spin room, when I bumped into Andrew Yang, he he has this idea to create an international type of trade, uh, not trade, but like the World Trade Organization for data. Mm-hmm. Well, good idea, bad idea. The Obama administration kind of floated something similar of, of a anti-hacking almost truce between mm-hmm. Russia, U.S., China, and the major world Yeah, that's a, that's a bigger issue. And, uh, you know, cyber warfare is right. something that's uh, being practiced uh, right now against the United States and everything from the Sony hack and on down. And we have no international norms about what should happen on. there. And, you know, I've asked uh, people before, do we need a sort of Vienna Convention uh, right. on on cyber uh, things, right? And mm-hmm. it's scary when you think about how uh, the Russians uh, and others have used cyber operations in the Baltics, in Ukraine, and in other places. So you guys do the artificial intelligence we, Not really not us. Really We're AI. very specific okay. on uh, c- consumer data, the things that are covered by what's called the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Uh-huh. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. So now it's time for my favorite part of the show. 
which is what's on the pa- what's the panel's favorite poem? Just kidding. Uh, what what is on the panel's radar, Maddie? What is on your radar? Well, again, it is everyone's favorite time of the year, and that's not the holidays. That is the end of the year <laughs> legislating, and we see exactly right. what Congress thinks they can try to sneak into the end of the year funding bill. We uh, know that there's probably an agreement on funding levels, so that now means there's going to be negotiations. Right. That now means there's going to be negotiations on uh, policy riders that will potentially make their way in there. I'm watching things that would be bad surprises for taxpayers in the new years, potentially something like surprise billing, which is when uh, a patient gets a surprise bill for uh, care they receive out of network. There's a lot of bad ideas on the Hill about how to handle that that would essentially eliminate all of the tensions that work right now to keep some of these actors in check. Uh, So keeping an eye on that, there also potentially would be a bailout of the public um, pension fund. So our work is not done here yet. It might be Thanksgiving, but we need a couple days to recharge, and then we're back at it when they come back next week. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Interesting. And getting all of that done, by the way, gets in the way of USMCA and yeah. other things. Exactly. So the more Congress tries to load up this end-of-the-year deal with poison pills that could not survive scrutiny without some kind of legislative train for them to hang off of, the less opportunity there is to do things that I think both sides do want to get done, USMCA being that main priority. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's on your radar, Francis? I've been reading this fascinating uh, story about the uh, outcomes of this uh U.S. Navy uh, guy who was uh, accused of war crimes. He was acquitted by a jury, but his command structure wanted to remove his seal trident pin. And the Secretary of the Navy has resigned over it. And there's a really incredible back and forth between him, the Secretary of Defense, the president, about uh, about who actually should be able to determine how a member of the military is disciplined according to the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as with everything in the Trump administration, it's fascinating to see. Did he resign or was he fired? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the resignation letter, what does it look like? When did it come? And it sort of falls in that same space as Jeff Sessions' re- resignation letter or Rod Rosenstein's uh, resignation letters. Uh, it's just been fascinating to watch. And I think uh, there's major implications. And I'm, I'm not a veteran and I've never served, but I think it has major implications for uh, how our military is uh, policed by its own as sort of the leaders of the free world. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. You know what's on my radar? What, Kev? Well, a lot of things. But, I mean, I, I do want <laughs> to mention that the president, uh, this whole centennial coin oh, issue, yeah, yeah. the centennial uh, commemorative coin act, and this directs the Treasury Department to mint a coin celebrating the 19th Amendment, which, of course, passed with unanimous consent, uh, and and well, it honors the the women's suffrage movement, the hundred year anniversary of it. What took show, so long to have the centennial coin? Yeah, a hundred right. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and it, the president always says, you know, no matter what it is, it took you know for some reason it's never got done before, and it took me to come along to get it done. I don't know why we didn't celebrate the hundredth anniversary many years ago, but now that I'm here, we got it done. This is an Abbott and Costello skit, I think. I, I think this is like we're all me being not punked. being able to get the right soundbite, or <laughs> no, no, but I mean, if it's the kind of thing that if you were watching SNL and they were doing a cold yeah, open, yeah, yeah. you could expect this. Sometimes very I feel strict. like my life is an SNL skit. Cirilli's SNL skit. Well, Melania that's because Trump, you other live things, with joy. Melania Trump got booed today at an opioid event. Don't I? I at that, a school, right? Yeah, at a at school. school. I, I, that's Come you know, on. I, right. Just I, yeah. I, let's all rise about. Let's all vibe at a higher frequency together. And LL Cool J is going to host the 42nd annual Kennedy Center Honors. These were all of the things that could have been on my radar. And the Christmas tree is finally at the White House. Hey, you know? where's it from? Oh. I have 20 seconds. Can I find out in 20 seconds? I don't know. Uh, Hello, Cool J, though, is from Queens, New York. 
Oh. Pennsylvania. We Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Uh, Thanks okay. for listening. Yeah. Kevin Cirilli, you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.